Want to build a thriving business while make a much bigger impact in the world by becoming known as an influential voice in your industry? The choice versus just a choice with your ideal client? That's exactly what you're going to learn as I interview business experts, industry thought leaders and entrepreneurs who are in the trenches making their mark so you can too. This is the award-winning podcast, The Ambitious Entrepreneur Show, and I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another show. So my guest today says it's not work hard, play hard. It's passion first, work second. Joining me on today's show is Mike Fata. Mike co-founded Manitoba Harvest Hemp Foods back in 1998, and he served as the chairman of the board and CEO until 2016. Then he helped guide the strategic sale of the company to Tilray for $419 million in 2019. Now, since then, he has celebrated and supported many other businesses and ventures as an entrepreneur, as an investor, as an advisor and mentor. So on today's show, Mike is going to share how to efficiently create your minimal viable company or community for your business. He's also going to talk about aligning your personal passion with business to build world-class success. And then he's going to talk about how to find the best mentor to expedite your growth and so much more, I'm sure. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thanks for having me. That is an impressive introduction. I mean, if you if we look back in 1998, you co-founded Manitoba Harvest Hemp Food. Take us back to that time. What was the reason you co-founded, you started this company? Was it a passion of yours? Uh, yeah, I uh, I had dropped out of high school and was um, I fell prey to the fast food movement. I was found myself overweight at uh, 300 pounds or uh, about a about 100 and 140 kilos uh, when I was 18, and I decided to change my diet, change my lifestyle, and that got me into health, which got me really interested in hemp and hemp foods. So that was the catalyst yes. for uh, founding Mantle Harvest. Ah, absolutely. And we're going to dive straight into it because I'm sure you're going to be able to unpack some of the key points that uh, we shared at the beginning of, of the show, particularly around how to efficiently create your minimal viable community. Talk about what what do and how do you define uh, minimal viable community? What does that mean? Yeah, so every business when you start it, um, you need a certain customer base or, or, or you need a, a certain size of of consumers in your community, um, being in the in the health food business, but really generally in consumer packaged goods, um, you, it, it's really about a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs get get hung up on how many stores am I selling into uh, and distributors and 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 all the people that are really valuable part of the of the supply chain. But at the end of the day, it's about your customer um, and how many customers, how many consumers do you need eating your product or using your product on a regular basis. For your for your business to be successful and that's your minimum viable community and there's an approach there of thinking about um, what's the most efficient way to acquire um, and and retain your minimum viable community and match it to your business growth plan and your budget from startup through to the different growth phase, phases of business Mm. Let's talk about that because I'm sure that there are some certain things that you could recommend people look at if this is really a new concept or something they may have heard of but not really looked uh, deeper into. Where do we start when we're looking at this? Yeah, well, you, uh, you, you know, you start close to home. Uh, really, the uh, where, where I see too many founders and too many entrepreneurs getting um, getting in trouble is they expand too far away from their house and and. 
um, especially in consumer packaged goods, if you're if you're selling in stores that are, and I would, my suggestion is, um, you know, t- your first ten stores should be in the first ten kilometers or ten miles from your from your house, uh, and you should be looking at getting you know, upwards of 100 customers in each one of those stores, it's much easier to do that because you can actually go down, drive down the street, go to those stores yourself as a founder, make friends with the owner or the manager of the store, get your product listed, be in there doing product demonstrations um, and, and really build that community. Whereas if you start selling your products in a different province or a different state, um, it's really impossible to 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 affect the actual sales in those stores. And, yes. and, uh, and that's, that's what we think about is going like an inch wide and a mile deep. Uh, you yes. want to be close to home and, and really build up your community at home. Uh, and then mm. you can amplify that community and, and expand outward. Yeah, that makes so much sense because we've heard about that, I'm sure, when it comes to marketing, being across too many platforms at uh, at the one time and stretching yourself too thin. We can use the same concept as far as, you know, you know, focus on getting some key stores up and running. And then you also said supporting them. I mean, if you, it's well and good getting your product into a store, but then if you kind of disappear and not supporting the the, the, the store in, in generating um, um, visibility and so forth that can can kind of plummet as well. Do you find that that can also be a distraction? I'm in that store now. We've got to do another store. Yeah, that, and and I think it's just natural for entrepreneurs to uh, that shiny object syndrome to like chase the new instead of really strategizing and thinking about it like uh, a larger company would. You know, how many customers in that store? You know, we use velocities as a metric in store. Um, if you're selling a chocolate bar. Uh, chocolate bars probably sell 10 or 15 or maybe even 20 units per week per store. Well, if you're a chocolate bar, uh, a new chocolate bar, and you go sell in that store, but you're only selling three or four units per in a week, um, you're going to get delisted. You're not, you're not going to have a long life there. And so think about the worst case scenario is you're in that store, you're only selling a couple units a week, and you choose to go and get listing into another store. Uh, yes. And then that store is only selling a couple a week. Now you're going to get delisted in both of those stores. And you, you you haven't really grown your business at all. Instead of thinking, hey, I'm going to, st- I'm going to get this one store selling. If, if, if the, if the store buyer and the, and the category is selling like 15 a week, I always want to be doing better than that. So how can I, how can I be selling 15 plus maybe 20 units a week before I go and expand into a different location? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, this is, um, a topic that we have covered before, but a lot of our the the uh, listeners that are listening to the show, a lot of them are service based businesses. However, a number of them um, have also delved into the area of products. So this is quite new for me as well. So it's it's just fascinating. I mean, when you think of ways in which you mean you already mentioned, there's a number of things that you can do in store product demonstrations. I mean, now we have at our fingertips technologies that will allow us to create incredible videos and behind the scenes and all of those sorts of things. How important is it when it comes to marketing to leverage as me, you know, the tools that we do have available and also create uh, an online community that we can then, obviously in your, your local areas, but a balance between also being online and doing the offline too. Is that important too, as part of strategy? Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think the, the, the word there is uh, the F word is focus. Um, I, I tell founders nowadays, and I, I wasn't big into social media myself until three years ago. Our business was, and we and we did uh, and we did what we uh, we could to to um, 
educate consumers and bring on new consumers through Facebook, through Instagram, through the different channels. But I think I nowadays the uh, the founder's personal brand is um, is is, a, is an opportunity for low cost marketing, and it's really all about storytelling. You know, and and whether you're selling a product or you're selling a service the reason why behind it, you know, my story of that, I lost a hundred pounds and I got interested in health and health led me to, to the hemp seed because it's a very healthy seed. And then, and then I wanted to go and shout that from the mountaintops. I can do that whether I'm in a store or at a trade show or a farmer's market, but I can also do that online. And so now my, my personal brand, I can talk about health. I can talk yes. about the challenges of, of entrepreneurship as well as talking about my product. So I think the, uh, you know, if you're in the service business, you don't want to just be talking about why you're the best accountant. Uh, you want to talk about why you're into accounting yeah. and some of the trials and tribulations that you've learned going through this business. And that's what really draws uh, people in to, to listen yeah. to your story. So true. And I think that beautifully segues into a, another point that you really want to share some insights into aligning your personal passion with business to build world-class success. Look, talked about storytelling. I'm sure that when um, people found out about your personal story, there's going to be a group of your community that you're building that resonates and who may not even realise that what you did is available to them as well. So you're not only building rapport and, and you know, the no like and trust, which we know is so important, but also educating them as to the different, and this is what we can do when we're storytelling, we do it really well, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, and and uh, I think that's effortless or, uh, or takes a lot less effort if it is your passion. And I don't care if your passion is health and you're going to get into a health food business or a health product, or you love sports and, and you want to do something with, you know, baseball, and maybe you're not a baseball player, but you can get in the industry and start selling baseballs or or you could create an app that helps people find the local baseball game like if it's your passion and you can align your business with your passion but the same can be true for service businesses like you know tom can be a plumber but when when people realize that tom is just you know fascinated with plumbing all aspects of plumbing it makes tom a, a lot more interesting guy um and he has that founder product fit or a founder service fit so his why of why he's in this business is really clear. It's just, it's more than just money. That's his that's his passion. And people would use that example of you know the Ted Lasso uh, business, the Ted Lasso uh, show. You know that passion. If you can align your your personal interests uh, uh, with a business interest, whether you whether you're working for someone or you're in entrepreneurship, boy, is it going to feel like you're you're working a lot less and your natural curiosity and your interest to learn and, and be excellent at the craft will, will really shine. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about the importance of the founder, uh, you know, particularly with the passion and being able to communicate that. I'm sure that when we look at then building the business, one of the most important things when it comes to building a business is attracting the right kind of people to be able to support that. How important uh, has, has it been for you and your business growth in ensuring that that message was just so key that you attracted the right kind of people to support you? And your, your vision. Yeah, uh, critically important. I mean, we uh, we grew Mantua Harvest to a hundred million dollar annual revenue, and and we had more than two hundred team members on the team uh, at mm -hmm. the peak of the business. And I realized, uh, and so a couple different things for founders that are just starting out. Um, it's really important to do a personal SWOT analysis and understand what your your personal strengths and weaknesses are. 
you know, I, I was naturally, my mom was an accountant, so I was naturally more gifted in, in uh, finance and it just made sense to me. And same, same with operation processes and sales and marketing was something that I really had to learn. And so early on, I surrounded myself with some great sales and marketing people that could teach me. Uh, and I felt comfortable about holding up the back end of the business, the, the finance and operations. But too often I, I, I see entrepreneurs that don't really know what their strengths and weaknesses are. They haven't taken that self-reflection time. And so they make hires sometimes complementary to their skills. Uh, and, and then and then you're lacking some things because at the end of the day for your business, you have to make sure that sales, marketing, ops, and finance are all covered uh, equally strong for each different growth stage of the business. Um, yes. And, and the larger that your team goes from, from startup to, to growth phase, I find that, you know, our job as founder is really the, the uh, instead of people thinking that they're a manager or that they're the boss, it's actually the keeper of the culture. You want to define what your culture is through your mission statement and through your core values of the business. And then you're upholding that by positive example. And then your team members are going to do what they see you doing. And, and, and that's how, that's how that, that strong culture forms in business. Yeah. One of the most difficult things, I think, and this is what I'm hearing a lot in conversations too, uh, as founders of businesses, as the business continues to grow, we need to be willing to let go of things. How hard have you um, seen, it, you know, founders who are growing a team in letting go of those things and not becoming the micromanager because ultimately they may have started the business because they're so passionate about it, but the way to enable it to grow is to get good people in there and, and allow them to do what they do really well. Can speak to founders who may be struggling with, uh, you know, letting go of the rain, so to speak. Yeah, I, I and I had my own personal experience with it, but I see it all, all too often is, and, and I say I'm a born entrepreneur, but a made CEO. And I see it with entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that can make something out of nothing and start a business up and get it going is one thing. When you start growing, especially growing a larger company, your, you, your, your job as a chief executive officer, especially when you have a great people managers or, or, or even above in sales and marketing and ops and finance, you, you, yours, your job is about coordinating and making sure that everyone's clear on the larger strategies and the growth plan for the business and allocating resources to your team. Um, and, and, and yeah, for that, you have to, you have to trust that you're hiring people that are ideally smarter than you in, in the, in the role, they're going to do it a little different. You know, I, I, my learning was, listen, it's my job as an, uh, as an executive and as the, uh, as the chief executive of the business to show people where we're going. Uh, we're going from A to Z, but how everyone's approached how they, the management of how they get from A to Z can be different. And I have to, I have to allow that to happen and, and be conscious to know when the, you know, that the wheels are still on the bus and we're going in the right direction. Uh, but give that room because if not, and you start to, um, you start to micromanage or, or you can compromise uh, executives and managers in a business real fast if you're if you're trying to get them to do it your way um, yes. and not allow them to to perform as they should. Yeah, uh, this is probably a question that's going to be well. The answer, you know, well, it really de depends. There was a conversation that I was uh, listening to with a group of founders, and uh, who were discussing, well, how do we know when? Because the market can change, and consumers, you know, and all of that. So we need to be on top of that. But the question was, 
if we've implemented a marketing strategy, and this can even be with if we've got a new hire, at what point is there a time frame or what point should we start to say, I'm not really sure whether this is working or, or not? Some Again, some people may find that, you know, 90 days or, but can you talk a little bit about that? What as founders can we just keep at the back of our minds to be mindful of if we launched a new strategy or a new hire, but also keeping in mind, well, we've got to give it time, but what is that time factor? Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure it does. Yeah. And, and for me, I think um, structure drives function. So I'm a big believer in having a clear growth plan and having a clear budget and have having good reporting and then having a cadence of, of uh, meetings to review. So weekly meetings, monthly meetings and, and quarterly meetings. So when you hire a new uh, manager, a new team member, they're inheriting whatever plan is written to date. Um, and so the most important thing is an onboarding plan to make sure that you give them everything they need. If that is generally uh, a review of all the materials in the plan, one-on-one meetings with their direct reports, but also the other their their, their counterparts in, in the different departments of the business. Time with yourself, um, but I, I go off of that ninety-day plan. I think a good, for sure, an executive, but even a good manager in the first thirty days should have a good understanding of the business. Um, they're, 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 you want them to spend a, a good amount of time listening and learning and and, and onboarding, uh, so they don't get to they don't get to rush into it. By by the from thirty to sixty days, they should be contributing to the plan and and talking about how they're thinking about rewriting it or or what's going to be important for for the future. And then and then and in between that sixty to ninety day mark, they should be fully revising the plan. I'm used to in a, in a rapidly growing business that we're we're making adjustments to our quarterly strategy and also putting latest estimates to our budget every quarter. And so um, there's not going to be more than one quarter um, that you hire a new team member. You should be able to know for sure within 90 days if if, yes. if you have that if you have that right plan and you have that right sequencing of events of reviewing and reporting, um, mm-hmm. because they're yeah. going to, they're, they're going to have to own and, and, uh, they're going to have to own the plan and, and, and write it before that next, uh, that yeah, next great, great insights. Thanks for sharing. Um, when it comes to business growth, I, I'm sure you can speak into this. What's the importance or how important are, are systems? Are critically important. Yeah. It's all about systems. <laughs> you know, every, everything is a, a system. I'm, uh, you know, we we built our success on world class quality. So quality management system and using a good quality management system to to govern many many aspects of the business, um, as many things as we, as we could fit. So for in the food business, the Global Food Safety Initiative (GFSI) is the scheme, and and BRC was our food safety uh, certification. Uh, it encompassed kind of A to Z in the in the business. But I think about. I think about just life in systems and, and as an entrepreneur, you, you need to have those systems. Let me talk about it as for, you know, we talked earlier about personal brand building, social media. You need to have a system for your marketing and for your social media. You can't just, you can't be a founder and think, I want to grow my personal brand. I know it's going to be good for my business. Uh, and then just go ad hoc onto LinkedIn or onto social media and be posting because what's going to happen is is that may that may work for a week or two or a month, but then you're going to fall off, and and so you have to have a system to say, you know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna post three times a week. You're gonna spend thirty minutes each morning going on and communicating with and looking for like businesses and like founders in your, in your industry. You know, here's some of the things and the storyboard that you're going to be sharing about, and really put a system to it so that. Um, 
it makes it easy to execute and and, mm-hmm. and actually you're going to accomplish that um but I, I think about that in in every aspect of the business if you don't if you don't have a good plan and, and, and a system to to make sure that that plan is in order you're, you're likely going to fall off of it yeah i i love that and i think there's often two ends of um well two sides of the of, of the same coin if you will so it's not having systems at all in place and then what you often see is the systems are so convoluted and so overwhelming they never really get done and I remember hearing um, or listening to a founder as she was growing her business from six figures to seven figures and so forth she said the more that we grew as the team and so forth grew we had to go into the systems and make sure that they were streamlined because often it's the smallest of bottlenecks which could have been you know um, too comprehensive or overwhelming system they're going to hit the, it's going to be a bottleneck. If there's a bottleneck, they'll, they'll, they'll hit it. And so as they continue to grow, it's streamlining, really getting it simple, as simple as possible. Would you agree that simple systems that people can run with? 100%. 100%. I think, yeah, we started out as founders and, and startup businesses and we have, we have no systems and we, when we fail because of that, um, and then my, my, you know, my experience is when we were a hundred million dollar company, we were overburdened with some systems and, and like big businesses are the ship just, it took longer to steer. Why? Because you needed, you needed four people's review and sign off on a certain project or initiative. And, and so, you know, and, and, and I think what you mentioned there, it is important under lean management. It's always a good idea to review and adjust any process, any system to see how can we just make this more streamlined and more clear cut is a technology that we can bring in um, that, that will, you know, are we pushing a whole bunch of paper and, and, and we can do a, a simple automation uh, uh, technology that will allow that to happen. The workflow in, in, in seconds instead of minutes or days even. And, and, uh, and so that's one of the things that from a strategic planning, um, you know, it should be a deep dive into it quarterly of like what's working, what, what's not working, uh, and maybe even ad hoc when you hear your team saying, wow, you know, uh, there's like 10 steps to be doing this. I think we could do this in five steps or. Yes, know. exactly. And and so often if we're the, as the founders, if we've come up with a system, we can, we can kind of not want to let it go. Um, but someone else can come into the business and say, hey, we can stream, streamline this. Another conversation that I've often had uh, with founders, particularly those who've got, you know, great visions. As visionaries, we can, if we're not careful, drive our teams mad because we're always coming up, you know, with different ideas. How about we do this? How about we do do that? How important is it for a founder and CEO to get somebody alongside who is more system focused if you're not? I think this goes back to your conversation where you say, look about where your strengths are, but also your weaknesses, because if some of those areas of weakness, you can inhibit the team. If you're not aware of it, that can actually stop the team and business from growing. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's an all too common uh, issue is that founders can be the uh they can be the fire and the firefighter you know they can bring chaos to the business and then and then and then try to try to calm it where um yeah if you're if you're not an operationally savvy person uh and you're more sales and marketing uh uh founder and you see all these great new ideas and new products and new services you can sell and you're out there doing lunches with your customers and and doing that you 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 need a great ops or an ops finance person that that can uh put the sops together make sure the training's there and 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 really lock that down um and you know when it comes to new and innovation i i've found that um 
especially in big, big projects, new, new product development, maybe some new customer development. I always supported my team to say, let me take this as a skunk work project off to the side because you have your priorities. You, we have our strategic plan. We know it's important, but we're always chasing, you know, how can we stretch and get more, you know, and, and can we grow faster? As a CEO, I found that I could take and, and incubate some of these projects and get it up to a certain stage that it was then, um, ready to be able to be taken on by the full leadership team and and uh, and, and launch so to speak yes. and so um, that's a strategy that's worked really well instead of doing nothing or kind of trying to give it all to the team um take it yourself and and prove it out and get it to a certain launching point before it's uh before it's uh it's brought forward and kind of incorporated into the overall strategic plan yeah, great. Um, and I, I like the house conversations kind of beautifully segued into the last point, finding the best mentor to, to expedite your growth. Before uh, you share some of the insights on how to find a great mentor, let's answer the, or ask this question. How can we be um, or set ourselves up to be the best mentee? Because there's going to be things that we hear that we may not necessarily like to hear, but it's things that we need to be able to hear and implement. Because again, as we said earlier, uh, we could be the bottleneck to our business and we can hire the best mentors, get the best mentors around us. But if we're not open to hearing, really hearing and changing whatever needs to be changed and recommended, we can still be where we are, you know, 10 years down the track. So how can we be the best mentee? Yeah, it it, uh, it starts with with being mindful. Um, uh, so I, I go again to that. You know, what are your own strengths and weaknesses uh, as as a as a founder, and 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 knowing what you need support with. Um, and and so if you're a good finance operations person, but you need sales and marketing support, which is where I found myself, uh, I was going to go and and seek out, and I did a great sales mentor and and a great marketing mentor. But I had to first know that that's what I needed the most help with. Um, and, and I had to be open to then listening to a lot of what they told me because I was I, I knew that they I knew that I had a weakness there and I needed I wanted to build it into a strength. And I sought out the right uh, I sought out the right mentors. So uh, that mindfulness practice is is uh, is going to be a key part of that. Uh, um, and then and then knowing that. Um, no mentor um, knows it all. You're still the entrepreneur. And so you're just taking insights uh, and probably the better mentors that you have, but mentors can be in a lot of forms. It could be, uh, uh, it could be more of a, uh, uh, an old guy or gal that's been through it before. That's one form of mentorship, but it, it also could be peer to peer uh, mentors like founders that are in a similar space that, that, uh, or industry that you're going through non-competitive that you guys can connect together and learn from each other. And then there's forms of really mass mentorship where you can go and and learn new techniques and processes and strategies from podcasts and from uh, books and, and and go yourself. So, but at the end of the day, what those all have in common is you need to internalize those insights and those lessons that you learn, and then see what fits for you because you can't just listen to what someone else is going to tell you. So, on the front end of it, be mindful and know what you need to learn, and then on the back end of it, you have to take all the information in that you whether it's whether it's mass mentorship peer to peer or a, or a, a legacy kind of mentor, and and uh, and then see what's going to be best for your business. 
Yeah. One of the other things uh, I think that we spoke about that can be um, considered when it comes to also mentorship too, is to be mindful of the mentor that you do hire, if you will, because I've heard some horror stories where they've locked themselves into, you know, contracts, very expensive Mm -hmm. contracts, which they can't get out of. But similarly, you might hire someone as a mentor and it's not really be a good fit. So you've got to be aware of what are some, you know, contingencies that if you need to, that you can get out of that and not be locked into like a 12 month or or more kind of mentorship can you share a little bit about that I mean this is obviously something that you help can help people too so if if it um, makes sense to to share a little bit about what you do in your business now I'm happy for you to do that too so how can we protect ourselves if we are looking at uh, getting into mentorships some of the more formal if you will because you really can see that look I'm in this for the long haul and I want to find someone who really can walk with me uh, along that journey how can we set ourselves up for success and if we need to um, get out of that if we just see that it's not working yeah I think it's a crawl walk run approach Um, for me personally I distinguish the difference between so mentorship and I am a mentor but mentorship for me is free I know not everyone feels this way. Uh, yeah. But I'm also an advisor and I advise uh, companies uh, large and small and 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 my advisory work is a practice. Um, and yeah. so, um, but but it, it, regardless, they're both similar that what I've seen in, in bad cases is that uh, entrepreneurs get excited as they do and uh, and at a, at, a, at a stage in their business and they meet someone and they think that person's going to be the, the perfect fit and have longevity to them. So mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, they they sign a contract with them and give them equity in the business, uh, a large stake of equity, and and then they realize, you know, six months later, nine months later, a year later, that 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 um, that advisor or that mentor was only a fit for a certain stage of the business, and there wasn't going to be longevity there. So when I say you know crawl walk run, I, I think that uh, um, you know it, it's 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 making sure that you're there's a fit, uh, which is really important uh, with the mentor or the advisor, but also that the competency and experience of that advisor or mentor is going to carry you through uh, multiple stages, growth stages of the business, and then and then set the contract up with them accordingly. Like we have some um, uh, free tools at, at fatafleischman.org, which is our mass mentorship um a website a toolbox uh, on setting up an advisory board and, and having a proper contract or or if it's a formal board of directors uh, or if it's you know just looking for a, a, a mentor but I think maybe mentor would be without contract uh, because usually it's without pay. Yeah, fantastic. So share a little bit more about that and how people can get in contact with you, Mike, if they'd like to find out more about uh, how you can best support them. Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, all things Mike Fata is at mikefata.ca, my website, uh, M-I-K-E-F-A-T-A.ca. So I uh, I, I have a lot of uh, free learnings for uh, for founders and entrepreneurs. I I have a, a podcast, the Founder to Mentor podcast. Um, I write a newsletter. Uh, I share a bunch on on social media with some growth guides and 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 uh, and different things to help founders strategically plan and grow. I just wrote a book uh, a couple of months ago, uh, "Grow: Twelve Unconventional Lessons for Being an Unstoppable Entrepreneur." And then I do uh, some growth coaching and advising, but everything uh, is uh, is on my website. 
Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, and sharing incredible insights. And I know uh, we've just scratched the surface. So uh, if people have, uh, uh, and I know they will have benefited from what you shared today, want to find out more, reach out to Mike in the ways that he has just uh, shared. So thanks once again for coming on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks again for having me. Hey, it's Anne-Marie. Before I go, are you a coach or a consultant who feels like the world's best kept secret? Your experience is vast, yet secretly you're frustrated because despite all of your hard work, you're just not getting the visibility, the recognition or new clients you'd hoped for and you don't know why? I've created a free resource that'll help you build visibility, generate leads and enroll dream clients with ease because you're seen as a trusted authority, even in a crowded marketplace and you've Position yourself as the choice versus just a choice for your dream client. To get started, go to annemariecross.com forward slash gift. That's annemariecross.com forward slash gift. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.